You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning again. Uh, If I've not met you yet, my name is Bill. I will be here following the service down front. I'd love to meet you, so please come introduce yourself to me. And as you can see, we are in a sermon message series called Priority Mail, and we're talking about the, the letters written to the seven churches of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, if you're familiar with that, so many people look at Revelation and they think it's all about things that will happen in the future sometime, but really it was written to seven specific churches in a time and place that were facing some problems and challenges that you and I have never faced. And they were going through a tribulation. They were going through a end times experience at that time. And they needed to know how to stand true and stand up and be strong and bold in the faith in the midst of the oppression that they were feeling because of the persecution that they were undergoing. So it was written to these people first and foremost, and it has timeless truths for all time that we can apply to ourselves. But as I read these letters to the seven churches, if you've been with us, you'll see a pattern developing among these letters to the churches. And as I was reading over them again this week, I was thinking they sound an awful lot like a job performance review. How many of you love getting job performance reviews? No hands raised. How many of you have gotten them? How many of you, yeah, you get an annual performance review, an employee performance review, uh, and you usually don't sleep well the night before because you're afraid of what will happen. And, um, and as I read these stories, they always have these sort of a, a flavor of a job performance review. If you have a job performance review, there are certain things you never want to hear on that job performance review. And uh, I, I, I found some things that I thought I just have to share with you. These are comments that could have been made on people's job performance reviews, such as, I would not allow this employee to breed. <laughs> no, you don't want that on your job performance review, right? Or this person works well under constant supervision and cornered like a rat in a trap. This person would be out of their depth in a parking lot puddle. You don't want that on your job review, do you? No, I, I wouldn't want that in my job review. Um, how about this one? Oh, man. This person got into the gene pool when the lifeguard wasn't watching. <laughs> Don't want that. No, I, I wouldn't want that in my job performance review either. And, and, and one more here. How about this? This person has a full six-pack but lacks the plastic thingy that holds it all together. <laughs> So if you get a job performance review, you just don't want those things written on your job performance review. And have you ever given job performance reviews? Have you ever had the role of having to do that? Those who do, you know, that's awkward also, right? And you hopefully have some good soft skills if you're going to be giving job performance reviews. And usually if you do, you begin with the good news, right? Well, here's the things you do well. We see that you accomplished this task. We see that you performed these duties. We see that you've done this that's been expected of you. You start with the good, right? If you give a job performance review, and then you will transition to, well, here's where there's room for improvement. Here's areas where we see that you can make some progress. Here's things that 
we see that you're doing badly. So there's the good, there's the bad, and then there is usually, hopefully, you end with, but if you turn things around, if you meet your goals for the year, if you hit the standards that we have for you, then you'll be able to get this bonus, you'll be able to get this, this, uh, uh, this bump in your salary or whatever. So performance reviews, evaluation reviews, they're very uh, difficult, very uh, sometimes painful to experience. But here's the thing. What if Jesus were to sit across the table from you and give you your discipleship evaluation performance review? He wouldn't do that. No, he's too kind. He would all be all loving and you're great and you're wonderful and you're fantastic and you do nothing wrong and life is easy and just, that's the kind of things we imagine Jesus would give us in that employee performance or that discipleship performance review. And in fact, people usually are a lot easier on themselves than they are on others around them, are they not? Right? We're a lot easier on ourselves than others are about us. In fact, sometimes I do um, 360 evaluations for, for leaders in, in business, and uh, they will evaluate themselves on the certain metrics that they're given, and then everybody around them evaluates them. Anybody ever have a 360 review done? You know what that's like? Well, you know, what happens is usually the person evaluating themselves rate themselves higher than the people around them. And that's why it's important to get that, because you're going to get the, the painful, honest feedback from people that you need to hear to be a better executive or a better leader. And so, and so these are important for those who want to improve. Um, here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to condemn us or to judge us, but he surely didn't come to enable us to be people that are going to self-destruct. Jesus didn't come to enable us to be stupid. He didn't come to let us go by without learning what we need to do to be better as a follower of Jesus and to be more productive and impactful on culture and society around us. So, so he came to, to, and he loves us enough to let us know that, that these are the behaviors that you need to be whole, to be safe and healthy and happy and will empower you to be a force for good. And in these letters to the seven churches, he's doing that to them because realizing that these are first century believers, these people that received this letter were not people that experienced Jesus firsthand. They received it secondhand through the apostle Paul or John and the apostles who imparted the faith to them. And here, is it going to carry on after this generation, this second generation? What are they going to be like? Because they didn't hear it firsthand from Jesus. So they're instructing people how to live rightly before God. And so in this performance evaluation, they are getting the good that they're doing, the challenges that they have, the bad that they are experiencing, and the promise and hope for, hey, the best is yet to come. If you turn things around, if you overcome, if you're victorious, Here's what is, is waiting you. And so let's just do a real quick review. So far, let's put the map up here. We see that uh, these are the seven churches here. You see the, dark, the black dots are them. Paul writing, or I'm sorry, John writing from the Isle of Patmos out here. Uh, he's exiled, but he's trying to communicate to them in the midst of this persecution, in the midst of the empire coming down heavy on this minority faith. Um, this is what we need to learn. So he writes to Ephesus, he writes to Smyrna, and this is the order of them. He writes to Pergamum, Thyatira. We're going to talk about Thyatira today. 
then next week Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And in each one of these, you see the pattern. And with Ephesus, the good news, if you remember, was this. You're good at not tolerating false teaching. You work hard, you persevere through hardship. The bad news is you've fallen away from your first love. You lost the love that you had before. The promise is if you overcome, you'll be able to eat from the tree of life in paradise. The church is smurred. The good news is I know your afflictions. I know your poverty. I know your suffering. Don't be afraid in the midst of suffering. And there's no bad news for the church. The only bad news is you're going to suffer more. But the promise is overcomers will not be hurt by the second death. Even if you're martyred, then there's a second death that you won't be harmed by. Pergamum, the good news is, I know where you live. You remain true in the midst of persecution. Bad news is, you have adopted some false teachings. The promise is, if you overcome, if you repent, you'll be able to eat from the manna from heaven and have a new name written down in heaven. And so here in his letter to the church in Thyatira, Jesus gives them the performance review, telling them the good, the bad, and what awaits those who overcome. So let's take a look at that together. We're at Revelation chapter 2. If you have your scripture, you can follow along in the Riverside app if you have that. Chapter 2, verse 18. Here's, here's the good news. It starts off with the good news. Number one, the angel of the church of Thyatira write this. This is Jesus, sort of the revelation that John had. Here's what you're to write to them. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love, and your faith, your service and your perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did before. Yay, that's the good news. You get that? If that's all they got on their performance review, they would be skipping all the way home, right? They'd be doing somersaults. This is great, Woohoo! I got a good review. And when you get the good review, you feel that way. Thyatira, let's kind of give a little bit of information about this town, although we don't know much about it, though this is the longest of the seven letters to the churches. We know the least about it, but uh, we know that it was on a trade route. We know that, uh, that there were a lot of, uh, um, the garment industry, if you want to call it that, was big in Thyatira. There were trade guilds, people belonging to the trade guilds and the archaeologists uncovering inscriptions that speak about the, uh, the wool workers guild, the dyers guild, the linen workers, the leather workers, the tanners. There were slave dealer guilds. There were bronze smith guilds there. In fact, chapter 16 of Acts talks about a woman who was in Philippi, but she was from Thyatira. Her name was Lydia, and she was a dealer in purple goods, so uh, in purple cloth. So, so that was her specialty and uh, probably a rarity, and Lydia probably had some wealth because she was going around dealing the purple cloths that were made there in Thyatira. But here's the thing. If you worked in Thyatira, you had to pretty much belong to a trade guild right? Call it a union, whatever. You had to belong to the trade guild to have a job. And if you belong to the trade guild, then each of the trade guilds, along with the town itself, had their, their patron gods. 
you know, we, we people, we know people who have uh, patron saints, you know, you have, a, you have a saint so-and-so that you pray to to find this if you lost something, a, pray, a saint so-and-so. And so that's kind of what these patron gods were. These were these uh, patron saints or patron gods that they would, that would be the, the god of their guild. And if they would sacrifice to that god, if they would celebrate and feast to that god, if they would be a part of what that god expected, then that god would bless their business. And so everybody had to belong to that if you were a part of that, if you're working there. Well, here's the thing. If you belong to Jesus, maybe you don't want to participate in some of the activities of these guilds because mostly when they would have these celebrations, they involved a huge feast. They involved a lot of wine, a lot of alcohol, a lot of partying, and sexual immorality. Hmm. Isn't it amazing how people stay the same no matter how much times change? And so if you want to have the job in this company, you're going to have to do the things that's expected of you in this company and you're going to have to go along with the crowd. And if you're a part of this town of Thyatira, you have a temple to the God, the patron God. And part of the temple worship was this feasting involving sexual immorality, meaning that they had to get involved with temple prostitution. Like in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament at times, in Baal worship, Asherah worship, this worship to the fertility gods, these, uh, these other gods surrounding Israel, surrounding the Jews, would believe in doing things like having these feast times, having temple prostitution, because if you do an act of fertility in the temple, then God will make your crops fertile. He'll make you prosperous and make you fertile to have kids. And the more kids you have, the more prosperous you are, the more your crops are fertile. So they would, they would mix this pleasure with their worship, this feasting, feeding one's flesh with their acts of worship. And after all, who wouldn't want that? And so, and so this is part of the things that was going on here in Thyatira. And Jesus writes to them, and the first thing he says, these are the words of the Son of God. Now, obviously we think of Jesus as the Son of God, and for us, um, that's just part of what we learn as believers. God the Father, David mentioned, God the Son, God the Spirit, the Trinity. But to refer to somebody as a son of God in these days had more loaded meaning than what we think. Because anytime a new emperor was crowned, they were deemed a son of the gods. And you would speak about them as sons of the gods. And they were deemed to have this godlike uh, power and, and were to be venerated and worshipped. And so that's why in these towns, they would make temples to the emperors. And emperor worship was a part of what was going on. And that's a lot of what the symbolism of Revelation is about, was the worship of the emperor. And if you didn't worship the emperor, you weren't able to buy and sell. You'd be persecuted. If you didn't say the emperor is Lord, if you said Jesus is Lord rather than the emperor, you'd be an outcast. And that's all the stuff that's going on in these times. And how's the faith going to last beyond that if people aren't bold to stand up and be strong in, in their faith? So to say these are the words of the Son of God is to say this is the one who trumps the emperor. This is the one who's bigger than the local authorities of the emperor. This is, this is the one who's writing to you who's above all. 
and his eyes are like, like, like blazing fire and, and burnished bronze. And you, you see he's speaking about he has the power to crush, to see through our, 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 our false thinking and to crush all teachings that were leading people astray. So, so it's like, here's, here's the big boss coming to talk to you now. Bigger than the emperor, bigger than the local authorities, bigger than the priests, bigger than whoever is trying to lead you astray. And he's sitting across from you, and I want to tell you what you're doing well. And, and he says, I know your deeds. I know your faith. I know your service, your perseverance. You know, when you have a job performance review, if it's a good company, they're going to tell you exactly what's expected of you. You have a job description, right? You have, an, you have a, a, a manual, a policy manual. Here are the things that are expected of you. If you're an employee here, this is what we want you to do. And it's almost as if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, here are four things that are the metrics by which Jesus would be weighing you if he were to do a discipleship evaluation review. Do you love God and love others? The two basic commandments of scripture. Are you loving God more? And, and by loving God more, are you loving others? Not do you love God, and I hate those people. I don't like that kind of person. I love God, but I don't really get along with my coworkers. I love God, and I'm, you know what I mean? So it's, are you loving God and loving others more? Is your faith growing in terms of, I'm believing God to be the right way, and I believe his ways are the best ways, and my faith is going to turn into acts of service for others, and I'm going to care about other people because of my love for God. I'm going to do things that are going to help other people. I'm going to sacrifice and be selfless in order to be more generous and giving to those that don't have as much as I do or I can help people that are hurting. Are you One of the core values of the early church was taking care of the widows and the orphans. The core values in the Old Testament were welcoming the aliens and the strangers. These were core values of service to others. And then perseverance is don't stop. Keep on keeping on. Be strong in doing this. Never give up attitudes. These are the metrics by which we will be measured and by which we can put a smile on the face of Christ. I love what it says in Micah. Again, three things that are pretty clear of what's expected of us as followers of God. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with God. It's not that complicated. I'm not saying it's easy. <laughs> I'm just saying it's not that complicated. Not that complicated. Love, faith, service, perseverance, justice, mercy, humility. These are the mark of great followers of Jesus because they are the marks of Jesus. They are what Jesus is for us. They reflect what God is like. These are the things that he's saying. This is the stuff that will put a smile on the face of God. The problem is it's, it's hard for us to stay strong and to stay vital in those areas. It's easy over time for our love to grow cold, to become lazy and selfish. We, we, we quit learning about God and learning about how God wants to make us better. And in fact, the learning that we do is often just trying to reinforce what we think we already know 
and we look for truth that supports our opinions rather than the truth that challenges our opinions and our thinking. All of this happens, I think, for all of us, and, we're, and it's a challenge for us. So if you want to put a smile on God's face, never stop loving, never give up believing in the good news of Christ, and keep humbling serving others in the name of Christ. And that's, that's the good news. That's the good news. Your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance make glad the heart of God. Don't you want to make God happy? Don't you want to put a smile on the face of Jesus? Don't you want to make glad the heart of God? Well, that's, and that's how you do it. That's the good news. So if, if, if he ended with that, again, they'd be skipping all the way home if that's all they heard. However, he doesn't. And let's talk about the bad news briefly here. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. And by her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating the food sacrificed to idols. Okay, let's stop right there. Again, who's Jezebel? Obviously, there wasn't a woman there named Jezebel. No Jewish person would call their child Jezebel because Jezebel speaks of the, the wife of weak-kneed King Ahab in the Hebrew Scriptures who was leading the Jews astray. Ahab was the king of the Jews. He was also, as the king in this theocracy, supposed to lead the people in, in, in righteousness and be a great example for them. Wasn't that married this woman who was uh, from a, another nation and another worshiping of another god that worshiped Baal, that worshiped Asherah, who participated in the fertility gods and was encouraging them to set up altars all around Jerusalem to have these feasts and eat the food sacrificed to these gods and participate in the immorality that went along with the worship of these false gods. And that was happening in the Old Testament. So he used that imagery to tell these people in Thyatira, that's what's going on here. And apparently there was somebody in the, in the church who had the inside story on what God wanted to tell them they could and could not do and was basically telling these believers that, you know what, it's okay. Go ahead. Eat the, eat, have the feasts and eat the food, the sacrifice to the, to the idols, to the, to the gods of their, your trade guilds. And it's okay to go ahead and party hardy and have immoral, immoral relations with people that you're not committed to and have, be a part of temple prostitution. It's okay, you can do that and you can still be a Christian. This is, this is the secret knowledge that I have for you. And... The danger of that was that if that caught on in the church in Thyatira, it could catch on elsewhere. And to be honest with you, it's a teaching that, you know, was an early form of Gnosticism. And Gnosticism, part of what Gnostic belief was, your, your matter is evil, spirit is good. So therefore, your body is evil, it cannot be redeemed, but your spirit is redeemed, your soul is saved. So if your soul is saved, and that's really what goes on after this life, it doesn't really matter what you do with your body in this life. Hmm, sounds pretty cool. You mean I can believe all the right things and still have sex with whoever I want, 
get drunk and party hardy as much as I want. I'm a Christian. I saved the prayer. I invited Jesus into my heart. I got my ticket punched. I'm going to heaven. Do you know that accepting Christ is just the beginning of your job? It's just getting into the, into the company. But if you don't grow and, and perform, what does that mean? You're not really a you're not really part of the kingdom if you're not following the ways of the king. You're not following the ways. And so here's the situation. These people were living this double life, saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but it doesn't matter what I do with my body and with my life. And the danger of that, the warning that he gives them is pretty, pretty harsh. Notice what he says. He says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering. I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. I'm not going to go skipping home from that part of my job review. I'm going to be crawling on my hands and knees. God, forgive me for that. So again, this teaching is it doesn't matter what you do, just believing the right things. We don't have that kind of teaching and thinking today, do we? So as long as I believe in Jesus, it doesn't really matter how I live. Well, it does. It does matter. It's easy to be seduced by this kind of Jezebel thinking. Jezebel says, it's okay, everybody's doing it. If you want to fit in, you're not going to be hurting anybody. Feed your flesh, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, there are consequences for sinful, or let me just use another word if you don't like the word sin, stupid behavior. Sin is sin because it's stupid. Sin is sin because it's hurtful. Sin is sin is because of the consequences, not just in the life after this. It hurts in this life. You are hurt by sinful choices and decisions and people around you are hurt by those choices and decisions that you make. That's the reason why it's prohibited, not because God's a killjoy, but God wants you to be whole. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to live rightly so that you can be a force for good in the world and not just go along with the flow. Here's, here's the interesting observation about two of these churches. The church at Ephesus, the first one that he looked at, they were praised because they were intolerant of the false teaching. They, they stood up against this kind of immorality and, and stupidity. But they were criticized because they fell away. They, they lost the love. So they were great on being intolerant of sin, but they were pretty bad on loving, other, loving God and loving others. And then you have the church in Thyatira. They were great on loving God and loving others, but they were pretty bad on tolerating sinfulness and permissiveness. Do you know in, in Christianity, there are sort of two major streams of Christianity and Christian thought. I think it's an exaggeration to say this, but I'll just put it in those two terms. First, there's the conservative vein of Christianity, right? Right? 
We're gonna hold to the truth. We're gonna hold to the morals of scripture. We're gonna hold to purity and righteousness and, and, and all of that. And we're gonna make sure those that aren't like us know that they're bad and they're sinners and they're going to hell. That conservative Christianity is great on, on, on intolerance of sin, but let's be honest, can be pretty weak on caring about social injustice, right? The poor, the immigrant, the refugee. Oh, yeah, that's not our, that's not our issue. So you have that conservative brand of Christianity, and then you have a liberal brand of Christianity that's all about loving everybody and social justice and taking care of the weak and the poor and all of that, but pretty permissive when it comes to sexual morals. And, and the question is, or the observation is, they're both half right. But here's the thing, Jesus was the whole package. Jesus loved people, but he didn't enable their sinfulness. He loved people and he welcomed the outcast and he cared for the weak and the poor and he showed us what it was to be a follower of his in doing those things, but he didn't condemn and he, nor did he condone immorality. The woman caught adultery, he didn't condemn her, but he said, please go and live your life of sin. So, why? Because he wanted her to be whole. He wanted her to be happy. So, so what we need to learn how to do is be a whole believer, be a whole church that cares about the outcasts, the weak, the inequalities of the world and inequalities around us and is willing to sacrifice to, to be able to help those that are hurting and needing. But we also need to say, you know, let's not give in to the culture in such a way that we, we fall into the stupid behavior that hurts others and hurts us. Let's get it right. Let's get it right. So a complete Christian, I, I, I think, has a healthy fear of sin and a genuine desire for justice, right? Healthy fear of sin and a, health, and a genuine desire for justice. I like what it says in Philippians, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever's excellent and praiseworthy, think about these kinds of things and the God of peace is gonna be with you. You want peace with God and you want the God of peace? Then let's live lives that are gonna be edifying and wholesome and live lives that are gonna care for others too. So the good news is your, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance, you're doing it more, keep it up, that's great. The bad news is you're too permissive of this woman and you're letting her poison the church with her teaching and you need to stand up and stop that or everybody's gonna suffer. But here's the best news that's yet to come. To the rest of you who don't hold to her teaching and have not learned of Satan's so-called deep secrets, I won't impose on you any other burden except hold true to what, you've, what you have until I come. And the one who overcomes or the one who's victorious to do my will to the end, you're gonna have responsibility. You're gonna have authority over the nations. You'll rule them with an iron scepter and dash them like poverty, quoting the Old Testament scripture. Just as I have received authority from my Father, I will give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
the morning star. Revelation 22 refers to Jesus as the bright morning star that, that uh, he's, he's, he's gonna lead the way for you. He's gonna be your guide. He's gonna be that person that shines on you. And so he says to each of them though that, you know, to, to that woman, I've given her time to repent, but for you, you still have time. You still have time. You still have time. I'm gonna ask the band to come up and we're gonna conclude in just a minute. We're gonna pray, but the good news is it's not too late to turn to Christ. It's not too late to turn to Christ. Well, but I did that. Well, but, but, but if you had that performance review, where would he be saying to you, you know you're doing great here, but let's be real, there's some places where you, you could become a little, you could do a little better. And I'm afraid for you, if you don't make the changes, then you're gonna fall away or you're, gonna, you're leading some other people astray or you're gonna hurt other people. So it's pretty clear here he's saying, you know, it's always time to come back to Christ, come back to God, turn back to God. That's what repentance is. And saying, God, I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that. You know, the great employee is the one that after the performance review says, I needed to hear that. Thank you for letting me know. I'll do better. And I really believe that there, when we gather together like this, the Holy Spirit does that for us. He reminds us, here's where you're doing well. Here's some areas where I think you could do better. And I think this is where the Holy Spirit has to speak to all of us individually because I think we know what those areas are. If we're humble, if we're honest. And he doesn't do it to condemn us. That's the good news. He doesn't do it to just make you feel badly. He does it because he says, you know what, you have a lot of potential and there's a lot more there. And your life can be better and happier and the people around you can be happier and healthier. So let's, let's let the Spirit just say, okay, God, I'm willing. I needed to hear that, right? Some of us might be skipping home today. Some of us might be kind of you know, walking home with a little bit of our shoulders bent. But I don't think you have to because you can walk out of here saying, okay, today's a start for me and I can do better. Let's bow our heads together. Lord, thank you for your word that sometimes it cuts. but it's always for our good. And it's always that we would be good for others. God, I thank you. I thank you today for speaking to us. And the message always ends with those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. So God, give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to me, to this church. Help us to be whole. Help us to be the package, the complete package as Christ was. God, we want to be an influence for good. And when we compromise, when we tolerate sin, 
when we're too permissive, it doesn't help us or anybody else. Conversely, when we're too judgmental, too selfish, that doesn't hurt or help people either. So God, show us the right way. Help us to love you more every day and love others. Help us to serve you and serve others. Help us to keep on believing and never stop that we would reflect you to our world around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.